Hello and welcome to the Tech Map Podcast, episode number 20, would you believe? My name is Andy Bargery, and in today's show, I'm talking with Girish Balachandran from On Purpose Consulting. Now, Girish is a really impressive guy. I've known him for a number of years. We worked together in marketing and PR agencies in London. But in the last few years, he's moved himself back to India. He's created a new agency, a new consultancy, and it's focused on not necessarily driving sales revenue through awareness or other kind of more commercial corporate metrics. But he's all about driving societal change. So how can you use communications as a way to address the issues that are affecting society right now? And he's obviously focused uh, his attention to his home market in India. Not only that, though, of course, he set up his own business. So in this show, we look at not only the use of comms for the greater good, but you know, what's it like to create a new agency? How's that experience been for him? And how's he been adapting to the media landscape in India? So it's a really great conversation. I really enjoyed catching up with Girish. I hope that you enjoy the show. There's a lot in there. Um, so buckle up, enjoy, and let's get on with the show. Hi, Girish. Welcome to the TechMap podcast. How's it going? Really good, Andy. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I'm really pleased that you could join me on the show today. Uh, we've been colleagues for quite a while, uh, going back, I would say, at least seven, eight years, possibly a bit more, looking at or working at agencies in London and servicing clients, doing all sorts of lead gen and marketing stuff. But you have taken a, a bit of a step change and moved back to your home country in India and started a new venture. And I'm, I'm really intrigued to find out about what you've been up to. But um, obviously, I know you really well, but our listeners don't. So why don't we kick off by you just telling us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to? Great. So um, I'm the founder of uh, On Purpose, which is a creative communications consultancy that was um, founded to drive social change in India. Um, I started this company about a year and a half ago and um, uh, really pleased with you know what we've achieved so far. And um, I think it's fair to say we've only just begun. Oh, that's exciting. So a year and a half in, you're probably still finding your feet a little bit. Uh, yes. Um, what I'm excited about is that uh, it's been more than you know, I sort of set out to achieve, I think, uh, both in terms of the kind of work that we're doing and also the kind of people that we're attracting both as, you know, people who want to work with us and clients. Um, so it, it's really nice to see, um, it's nice to see the ability to sort of get people together around a shared sense of uh, purpose. No pun. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, you and I generally have been involved in marketing campaigns where ultimately what the client or the brand is looking for is to deliver some uh, sales pipeline or some growth of some sort. But obviously what you're doing can't be measured really in terms of uh, sales pipeline, I guess. So it must be a, a different feeling for you working in that sort of environment. Absolutely. And I think I'm really uh, sort of grateful for the experience of having worked with both clients and consultancies where the focus was very much on delivering results, um, you know, whether it was leads or it was, you know, different forms of metrics that are sort of common in the 
marketing and communications industry because that's exactly the kind of thinking that uh, has helped me uh, work with you know both organizations and brands in the development sector who um, are looking to sort of you know achieve big ambitious goals but also appreciate the thinking from you know blue chips and private sector on how to be effective so i think uh, that's um, something that uh, i i really cherish the experience of uh, working in hardcore marketing oh, i get it okay so the the kind of mindset you've got from that more commercially focused marketing campaign is really helping you in this area as well Absolutely. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I do admit that the development sector that uh, I've been involved in in the last year and a half is very sort of niche and uh, has its own, you know, set of challenges and requires a different mindset and a very sort of different set of expertise to be able to be effective. And in that space, I think me and my team, we're still learning but we're very grateful for the opportunity because india has so much to do in terms of social change and we're just sort of grateful that we could make a contribution i think is there's a i mean there's so much to talk about here but what what's I'd love to explore first of all is you know what is what are the kind of campaigns that you're working on and what is what's the sort of change that you're able to uh, effect over in India and and then I guess you know latterly what's the agency landscape like in India and how does that compare to your experiences over here in Europe but let's let's explore some examples of what you've been up to and how you've been affecting change and what what that looks like first if we may sure so I'll be honest I think uh, you know when it comes to affecting change um, I think we've just started scratching the surface um, you know, the sort of change that we want to achieve and deliver is um, is really a sort of long journey to be on. Uh, so let me give you the example of our, of our first client, uh, which was okay, great. Uh, Sesame Street in India. They've been in India for over 10 years and, you know, they've always focused on early childhood education. Um, they were our first client and they gave us a, a, a brief to look at how to define childhood obesity in India and what okay. impact would look like. So, you know, the, the, the challenge there was to start really from scratch, which is nobody's really attempted childhood obesity in India because quite naturally, uh, most people associate India with undernutrition as against overnutrition. Mm. Um, but overnutrition is really a sort of... A, ticking time bomb for India, which, you know, slowly sort of creeping up uh, one of our uh, challenges. And uh, all the focus has really been on sort of the other side of the uh, the scale. Um, so, you know, because nobody had done it before, we really had to sort of start with how do you define it? And then um, mm. uh, what what would success look like if you had to address it? So from that perspective, you know, uh, the work really involved a lot of research in terms of meeting different stakeholders, whether it was the World Health Organization, you know, UNICEF, the Public Health Foundation of India, to really understand the different stakeholders involved, to look at it from their perspective, look at the work that they've already been doing in this space, and then start meeting with, you know, dietitians, nutritionists, pediatricians in hospitals, 
talking to mummy bloggers, talking to uh, end sort of, you know, consumers to understand how they look at this problem and then come up with a definition, look at learnings from different countries who sort of, you know, addressed this challenge before from the US, from the UK, of course, and then, you know, talk to uh, the client in terms of the landscape of uh, childhood obesity, the different stakeholders involved, looking at case studies from different countries and then say, you know, you're just one organization and the problem that you're trying to address is so large. We really need to look at what are the areas you can lead on that you're really strong in? What are the areas you need to partner with other stakeholders? Mm -hmm. And then what are the ones where you just need others to do the heavy lifting and you should be part of the conversation? So really sort of giving them a phased approach. You kicked off with an enormous amount of research and prep then before you could come up with any kind of real concrete recommendations for how to start to play in this space. Absolutely, because um, I, mean, I guess what was so fascinating about having Sesame Street as our first client was that, um, you know, we we got a chance to really get our teeth into a, a really big issue for India. And to focus on research and insights and strategy first before looking at any sort of outreach or campaign. So was that the was that the plan here then to to use that research to 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 build a, an outreach or communications campaign, or were you thinking broader than communications? Because as you say, it's such a big issue and it's such a big market as well in India. I'm guessing that. You know, the, the primary market segments is the middle class in this area, because it's such a burgeoning, growing community in India, isn't it, or segment in India. It, it feels like that, that there could be so much more to this than a communications campaign. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, the, our client was also very clear with us that this is not about uh, communications, or the, although communications will definitely be one of the sort of um, routes through which we try and address the problem. But what I really need to understand is what is the problem and how do we go about addressing it? So that's one example, uh, Andy. I think um, more broadly speaking, over the last year, we've had two types of clients. One is organizations whose core business is driving behavior change. So this is typically the development agencies. So as an example, USAID has been our biggest client in the last year. And with them, we've been working to create a market for solar rooftops in India. And uh, this involved conducting research in seven states of India, uh, coming up with strategy, and then creating content to be able to motivate people to adopt solar rooftops as a lifestyle choice. Now, this particular assignment sort of also involved us creating television ads, radio ads, 2D animation films, 3D animation films, hoardings for bus stops, metro stations, airports, really the sort of assignment, you know, I wouldn't typically have expected to win as part of a regular sort of agency uh, or consultancy. Um, Mm. So um, there's there's the development sector, you know, where we worked with USAID, Gates Foundation, Sesame Street, and a host of other NGOs who are wanting to address specific social issues. Yeah. And we've been working with brands, helping them articulate purpose, which is 
Why do you exist beyond okay. making money? And why should anyone care? And here again... <laughs> okay, so what sort of brands have been engaging in that camp, that sort of level of campaign? Who have you been working with? So again, um, sort of really fortunate to have, you know, built a roster of clients there, starting with Coca-Cola. Um, we work with Cisco. We work with Ola, which I'm not sure if many people in the UK will be familiar with, but actually they should because Ola has just launched in the UK as a, a cab sharing app. Oh, right. Okay. So they compete directly with Uber in, in, in India and they've just launched in Australia and the UK. And um, we also work with uh, a renewables company called Renew Power. Um, so with them, of course, it's really been about crafting a narrative that helps people understand what they stand for as an organization, what they truly sort of believe in, and how they can mobilize people mm -hmm. around them to be part of something bigger. Okay, so that feels like a really strategic piece of consultancy to to help them to articulate what it is that they stand for feels like for a brand like a coca-cola or a cisco that's the kind of thing you might expect to be given as a local agency to to localize but you've been involved in actually creating that initial strategic positioning yeah that's a really good point um i will say that you know for example um one of the clients that we work for uh, we went down the route of creating this positioning from an india perspective and then you know, much later, we were told that, hey, actually, there's a new global brand positioning being launched. And now we need to align the local positioning with the global positioning, which was, you know, in a way, sort of almost retrofitting what we had come up with to align with a bigger sort of uh, uh -huh. brand program. So um, I think those sorts of challenges will always um, sort of exist. And um, but again, you know, I'd say we're in a you know, we have the good fortune of working with both multinationals whose India sort of um, headquarters want to be more relevant to India and therefore are looking for more Indian sort of centric positioning, as well as working with um, Indian originated brands like Ola, like Renew Power, which are both, you know, in uh, India's top 10 unicorn companies. And um, helping them sort of have a positioning that can be uh, applied and be relevant across markets outside of India. It's interesting then that you're working with the, the local brands there, as you say, to expand internationally. Um, because India has an enormous, uh, in the tech world anyway, tech startup sector. Um, and, you know, a bit like China, I suppose, we're seeing a lot of tech coming out of tech startups coming out of, of India. Um, and obviously, they need to make themselves relevant to Western audiences if they choose that international expansion. So Ola sounds like a great example of what you're doing in that space. Yeah, actually, you know, what's really fascinating is that there's been a whole new crop of companies, uh, startups in India that are actually not of the traditional sort of tech club. You know, they don't belong to the, you know, we're a software company traditionally associated with India uh, wanting to be global. But they're actually quite interesting consumer applications. Of course, Ola is an example of a technology company that's sort of, uh, you know, applying its technology expertise to helping people with mobility solutions. Then there's another very interesting company called Zomato, which I'm not sure if, if you heard of, Andy, but uh, they're also of Indian origin. Uh, expanding um, across the globe 
you know, uh, on a clip. And uh, they're, they're in the sort of food aggregation uh, business where, you know, consumers can basically order food from any restaurant with a few clicks on their s- smartphones. Um, so it's, it's um, I'm, I'm glad to see that sort of what India has been traditionally famous for, which is more sort of IT slash enterprise technology. Uh, at the same time, we're also sort of um, growing our expertise in being in developing technologies that can make consumers' lives so much more fun. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's great because, as you say, you know, I, I guess over the last 10, 20, 30 years, you know, the Indian IT consulting industry has exploded, hasn't it? And that's largely been driven by enterprise tech, as you say. But to see these exciting startup apps like Ola and Zomato starting to come out. Um, is really great to see. So from your agency point of view, you know, obviously we've worked together in agency in, in London, but tell me a bit about the, the agency scene in India then. How is that? Um, how is that different? How is that? And for you, of course, as well, now being an agency owner, how does that feel compared to working for one of the big holding companies? So the agency scene in India is, um, it's really, it's, it's, it's a great place to be. Um, I think, um, you know, since in the last four years that I've had a chance to return to India and be part of it, I've seen a really healthy sort of sense of competition build up in this space. I've seen a strong sense of community coming together. And there are lots of factors, uh, you know, that have led to it. I think a lot of the, you know, the trade publications and uh, associations, etc., have have really made a concerted effort to talk about and celebrate the achievements of this industry. So, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to them to have sort of made this happen. I give a lot of credit to uh, a, a large number of entrepreneurs in the Indian um, consultancy business who have worked really, really hard to build businesses that have been attractive to sort of, you know, uh, global holding companies so that, you know, we've seen a whole spate of uh, mergers and acquisitions, uh, which is sort of allowing uh, both multinationals to sort of have a strong foothold in India and for Indian companies to gain from their expertise. Uh, I think the big change that I feel as, as an entrepreneur today is I really empathize with other entrepreneurs in ways like I could never do when I was an employee. <laughs> Give me some examples. Um, just, um, you know, in terms of people management, in terms of being understanding that the buck really stops with you. You know, if it's it's the small things. It's things that we've always taken for granted as employees, which is, you know, at the end of the day, you report to somebody and it's their problem. Now, you know, as a startup sort of owner, if the emails aren't working, that's my problem. Yeah, absolutely. Suddenly you find yourself becoming an expert in not just the service delivery, but in how the computer system works, how the voicemail system works. Have you got IT? um, Have you got your antivirus? What does your uh, payroll look like? And all these great things that when you're working in a bigger agency structure, you haven't got to worry about. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, A, sort of a lot of respect for other entrepreneurs in this business, for what they've achieved with the scale that they've achieved in the time they have. And B, I'd say, you know, to to all my team who've really sort of, you know, taken a risk, uh, 
been really bold about joining a startup like like us and uh, you know really sort of weathering me and my expectations of them as well so uh, having worked with you girish i know that you're you're because you're a highly motivated guy so i imagine your expectations are you know as um as as high as they ever were but when it's your own business i suppose that takes a slightly different look and feel doesn't it it does um and i think i'm learning as well which is um um I'm learning to be more patient. My teammates may not agree, but I'm definitely trying. <laughs> I'm sure they would agree, Girish. I'm sure that they would. Uh, it, you know, it's it's not easy when you're running your own shop to to have the ability to 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 take a step back and realize that not everyone works in the same way as you and at the same pace as you. So, I'm sure your team is totally aware of that. <laughs> So tell me what's coming next then. So you've obviously had a, a year and a half and I've, I've been following you uh, on LinkedIn and Facebook and all these great social platforms. And it's clear that you've been picking up a couple of awards. You've been picking up really interesting clients. Um, so what's next in the, what's next for, for Girish? What's next for On Purpose? And, and where do you think this sector's heading? Because I imagine that there aren't too many agencies or consultancies focused on this area of expertise, uh, not just in India, but anywhere in the world. Um, so, you know, do, what do you think the future looks like? I think the future is uh, going to be um, a balancing act of trying to get where we want to without losing sight of why we started in the first place. You know, a year and a half ago when when the thought of On Purpose came about, I was very clear that people could try and build something that people would want to be a part of because they either had a passion to, you know, make a difference yeah, or they were really skilled in communications or the development sector and we'd be able to sort of create a platform to be able to do that. I, I do admit that, you know, after sort of 19 years of being hardwired into corporate agency uh, mold, I do find myself sort of slipping into, uh, you know, a space where I'm sort of more interested in the business and growing it rather than the change that we want to effect. And I think as an individual, that's going to be my challenge to not lose focus of that because there was a reason why we wanted to start on purpose and was to uh, do something different and, you know, not recreate a lot of the things that a lot of us wanted to run away from. And I think as an organization uh, in the next uh, year and a half or so, I think success will be us getting a chance to run a national level campaign on behavior change, you know, on whatever it might be, whether it's road safety whether it's responsible drinking, whether it's early childhood education, you know, or it's just, you know, getting people to get solar installed on their rooftops. So are you, are you looking then at the challenges that you want to address and then trying to then look for clients that might have an interest in tackling that issue? Or are you looking for clients that, that have in mind a societal change campaign program and then want to go and find the the behavior that they want to change so uh, you know this is one of the things that we often uh, discuss and debate in our team andy which is 
how do we get the balance right between profit and purpose? Um, yes. You know, as a consultancy and also how we sort of choose who we work with. Because uh, a lot of the really strong behavior change work that is required may not be able to pay as much as, you know, work that is less social change oriented. Mm. And I think at times we've had to sort of make that choice to say, hey, this work may not be spot on in the area that we want to be, but it's going. it may help us fund ourselves for now so that we're able to do more social change work. And I think that's a that's a sort of balancing act we will continue to face, uh, but hopefully we will always be able to sort of discuss it as a team and be able to take those decisions together. Well, that I think that's the smart way to go, isn't it? You know, you need that balance between those clients that are able to afford to pay for your services and fund your business that gives you the freedom to choose the clients that you perhaps want to work with more but who can't afford to pay your services so your your company is sustainable i suppose absolutely and i think uh, again you know we've been um, very privileged to have sort of uh, had the opportunity to work with um, a large number of causes where um, they haven't had any money to give us and we've happily sort of taken it on as a project because um, we're really excited about what they believe in so, you know, as an example, there was a radio festival that was organized uh, earlier this year. And, um, you know, without sort of thinking too much, we said, yeah, absolutely, we'll do it. And, you know, we supported them with social media for their um, event. And similarly, you know, just uh, last week, uh, there was uh, an awards called the Socially Responsible Business Awards uh, called Sabera which also sort of, uh, you know, was launching for the first time, wanted to really acknowledge the, you know, the small man as much as the large corporates in terms of uh, celebrating people who are really making a difference. And again, I think, um, you know, just being part of that event, hearing the stories of change that it brought to the fore, I think, you know, sort of in its own way felt like a fulfillment of our purpose. Um, so, uh, again, you know, I, we talk about this as a team, and I think we're in a very privileged position to be able to choose what we do and what clients we work with. I think that is a, a super position to be in, isn't it, really? And, you know, when, you, when you're part of a bigger group, you don't necessarily have that choice. You know, you chase after the business that's in front of you and you go for it. But to be able to say, okay, we want to work with X, Y, and Z brand, or we want to address a certain uh, behavioral issue or societal issue then that's great isn't it i think that that's really that freedom there sets you up to build a really highly engaged team around you because they'll want to work on the clients that you're picking up absolutely and i think one of the things that i really sort of cherish about the team that we've you know almost assembled as we've gone is the diversity um i'm really sort of happy uh, that uh, you know, um, almost 50% of our team has never worked in PR or marketing before. Um, and, and for me, that's almost my way of um, giving back because I didn't start in PR or marketing either. I started as a chef, as you remember, Andy. <laughs> what a difference. What a, what a change from chef I, to MBA to agency 
to um, entrepreneur. Absolutely. And, you know, the team that we have today, it's so interesting, the backgrounds, their interests. And I think that's what sort of really helps us be interesting and deliver interesting work. Um, you know, just quickly as examples of we've got a jazz singer, we've got a jazz dancer, I've got a street theater activist, I've got people from NGO backgrounds who worked with victims of child sexual abuse. And, um, you know, and uh, I've also got somebody who set up their own hair saloon, uh, who works with us sort of part time, uh, because she doesn't want to lose touch of, you know, the PR world. So, Again, you know, the privilege of being able to allow such sort of flexibility and diversity is what uh, I think makes it fun to go to work every day. It sounds like quite an eclectic mix that you've uh, you've put together there. And, and I can see from all of the communications coming out just how uh, happy and engaged that team is because... It just seems to be that they are right behind what you're trying to achieve here. You know, um, the funny bit, Andy, is that uh, everybody has their own definition of on purpose. So, you know, if I ask my team members, what does on purpose stand for? Beyond sort of social change, they'll have their own way of articulating it. And sometimes when I hear them speak, I feel like, you know what, some of them actually get it more than I do. I almost feel like <laughs> the way in which they're describing it is giving me direction. And and that, you know, I, I, I can't buy that. No, that must be quite inspiring and, and empowering as well to know that the team really, uh, really gets the, the overall mission or, or the, the why, I suppose. And I think for me in the past, uh, having set up and run agency teams, Part of the challenge of building a motivated team is to get them behind you to understand what it is that you're trying to achieve with that business. And obviously, that's a lot clearer with what you're doing on purpose. And if your team are really living and breathing that uh, and taking it further than you, then that must be really empowering. I love the way you put it, Andy. Um, <laughs> um, if you're ever looking for a PR job, uh, I'd, I'd hire you without a blink. <laughs> But um, uh, but I'll be honest, again, you know, our day-to-day -day is not all sort of, uh, you know, roses. It's, um, it's quite messy. Just getting through the day with the sort of work that needs to be delivered. We still have deadlines to meet. We still have, you know, budgets to work within, etc. And I think um, the day-to-dayness of our work can still be very, very... Uh, challenging because mm. uh, one thing one of the things that i'm really sort of can uh, I, I i guess aware of is that we do not want to be slotted into a sort of soft space of okay these guys only do social change they can't really handle the challenge of delivering sort of you know impactful hard-hitting campaigns and the kind of yes. work we yeah. do still needs to deliver results and our clients demand it of us. So um, it's really interesting because, again, here, this is where I sort of look back at the experience that, you know, we gained working with some of the larger multinationals, working on some of the, the you know, really challenging clients with their deadlines and uh, the, the scale of what we had to achieve within the time available. 
I think was a real learning. Well, do you, do you know, it's interesting, I suppose, when you're in professional services, whatever line of consulting that you're in, you're always going to have to have clients and they're always going to have deadlines and budgets and constraints for you to work within and to deliver against. So, you know, refreshing, not necessarily refreshing, but um, good to hear that that's the same experience for you in this area because it means you're delivering a I guess a professional service and you're going to have the same constraints as every other consultancy trying to work in this area absolutely I think uh, you know every time uh, you know we look at our own work and evaluate it I think the lens that I sort of encourage me and my team to always wear is that we need the credibility of a reputation that stands for successful delivery because without that we're really nothing and we're going to get no work if we're not able to have a reputation of delivering every single time a bit earlier on in the conversation you talked about the having a a real mixture a real integrated mix of advertising and outdoor and animated and video and 3d stuff and you know that's interesting because the the media landscape has changed quite a lot and is always changing. And it's interesting to see the various studies that you see coming out of people saying, oh, you've got to be on social media advertising, you've got to be on TV, or TV's dying, all that good stuff. And, you know, every different trade body has its different set of statistics that say, no, 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 that's not the case, says the TV bodies, TV's not dying, and the various different message you get from the social media channels and so on and so forth. But from your point of view, from a kind of on the ground perspective, what does the media landscape look like in India? How, how is it changing? And is it having the same, um, I guess, market forces and changes that we're seeing over here in the UK? Uh, on the media landscape in India. So, I mean, you know, the, the basic facts um, of differentiation, are India is probably the only country where uh, print is still growing. And that's because, you know, more and more people becoming literate and uh, print is sort of, uh, you know, the first sort of media that uh, they interact with, especially at the regional level. Mm, So regional publications, um, vernacular language publications are the main reasons why sort of uh, print is growing. Social media, of course, um, uh, has sort of helped India almost uh, leapfrog you know, media in terms of the linear transition from uh, radio to television to into sort of computer and then mobile. Uh, a lot of India has just gone straight from TV to mobile. Um, mm, okay. Uh, um, and that's just because smartphones have sort of uh, penetrated so much. And even um, uh, through feature phones, uh, the government has sort of really made a strong effort to provide uh, citizens access to services. Um, through both sort of uh, 2G and 3G services. At the same time, you know, I think uh, radio uh, as a channel uh, is sort of going through, um, uh, is is, is uh, having a comeback almost from being, a, mm. you know, a traditional channel to being something that's more relevant. I think as as probably people sort of spend more time in cars in traffic jams, the radio sort of finds itself being relevant a lot more. The The... I guess what is probably facing a decline, and I don't have the facts on me for this, is uh, regular TV channels with the growth of a lot of streaming services. So now um, 
there's a lot of content being created in India for India and is available on uh, streaming service channels both on sort of television and mobile okay and i think that's really the sort of uh, big growth area in india which is probably taking people away from the traditional cable tv content to uh, content that you know is readily accessible on their phones so are we look, are we talking about the netflix equivalent or is is there is netflix a big thing in india as well yes but netflix is uh, facing uh, sort of strong competition from other players now amazon of course you know uh, has come out of nowhere in the last few years and really sort of taken over a lot of the streaming market and but then we also had oh, lots wow. of lo- lots of local players uh, come in so, you know for example there's hotstar you know which is offering regional content in regional languages which is very popular and there are a host of others that are also doing similar things so it's um it's really interesting to see um you know the the regional content uh, providers competing with uh, some of these you know the big netflix and amazon amazons of the world well, that's encouraging, I suppose. That local innovation, that regional innovation, is is not being lost. I suppose with the uh, the very deep pockets you get from the large um, US based companies, tech companies. Um, so it sounds as though there's quite a lot of fragmentation in the media landscape there. So it must be quite challenging to choose a media mix that's going to reach your audience when you're delivering for, for example, USAID. Yes, and I think again, you know, um, there, there is—it's—it's it's really hard to look at, uh, to not look at communications from an integrated perspective in India. Uh, it's, but it's really about getting the right mix of it. Yes, and I guess when you've got a, a country the size and complexity of India, getting that right mix is an even greater challenge than it would be over here because I. I don't know the exact uh, number, but it's over a billion people in India, isn't it? And I think um, you can probably correct me here, but there's probably 40 different languages and dialects and so on and so forth. So that that must be a real challenge as well. Absolutely. 1.3 uh, billion and climbing. And yes, uh, you know, the language and dialects sort of almost changes every 50 kilometers. <laughs> yeah so how do you so that must be a headache for your creative team to think about how they're going to deliver across regions and, and as you say when you get to that national campaign level a small team is going to have their hands full delivering something on that scale aren't they correct but you know very similar again to the challenge of say communicating across europe you know i'll give you the example of one of the large multinational food and beverage companies that we work with um you know which has um, a, an american ceo and then has uh, about 8,000 staff across 19 uh, sites in India. And uh, um, we deliver communications to them in nine different languages. And the way it happens is, you know, typically sort of if you put together a, sh- a short 60-second video clip of the, of the CEO sort of talking about her vision for the, for the company, uh, we then sort of, you know, take it, translate it into these nine different languages, put these uh, translations on the videos and then disseminate it to an audience um, where almost 50% of them will not be on computers. They'll be working on, you know, the, the assembly line of a, of a manufacturing factory. Okay, so quite a challenge, quite a challenge in getting the, the right creative and getting it seen by the right people. 
Yes, but I mean, as always, it's it's all about visuals today. So, you know, it, what what I'm really sort of happy and excited about is we are doing a lot of visual communication. In fact, a branding, design, video is, um, you know, more than, I'd say, 70% of our content business. So away from writing, it's more about the look and feel of it. Oh, that's interesting. And I think that that does marry up quite nicely over here as well in terms of, you know, the explosion of of video. And um, I don't know, you've probably heard this a million times that this is the year of the video. And I think that's certainly the case. If you look at the play um, that all of the big tech platforms are doing towards or moving towards video, um, it's hard to see that anything other than video is being where we're going to spend our marketing budget next year rather than the good old-fashioned written content white papers blog posts case studies and so on yes but you know it um, i often wonder andy whether there's um you know where, when there will be a time when we say uh, we sort of cherish long form content again uh, just because <laughs> just because we're going to see so so much less of it so you know, I've had this conversation a few times over the last few years, actually, as people have, you know, we used to do a lot in blogging, as you know, and, and then people moved on to micro blogging, so Twitter and, and other different formats. But there was still a community of people that actually really wanted to write and read and, in, and consume long form content. And that's why there's still a market for um, those kind of in-depth articles and analysis and and um so on and so forth that you can buy if you if you want to read um any of the the more insightful publications there's still a market for them because people will still want that level and depth of analysis and scrutiny and interrogation of data to create interesting opinions i suppose but imagine if uh, you know we went completely the video way for a few generations would people then not know how to read anymore? And that's a scary thought. That is a very scary thought. Uh, having Going through the process of teaching my children to read, I hope they still need those skills in a couple of years' time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, who, who knows? I mean, it's interesting. You know, perhaps in a couple of years' time, uh, on purpose will be engaged to encourage people to learn how to read and write properly again. Absolutely. I was just thinking of that. <laughs> <laughs> of course you were, Girish. Well, I mean, it sounds like this really a interesting work going on at your end. It's really lovely to catch up with you because I think it's a, a year or two since we last had a catch up, Girish. So it's really nice to 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 hear what you've been up to. I've been admiring you from afar, um, seeing what's been going on with On Purpose, and it looks like you're going great guns. And, and I'm not surprised, um, having worked with you for a number of years. You know, you're a super impressive guy. So it's great to see you being uh, successful over in India. Uh, if people want to find out more about how to use communications to affect change, are there people writing about this? Are there case studies? Are there um, opinion leaders that, that our listeners should try and check in with and try and read their work? Yes. So the development sector has, um, has actually very um, sort of uh, strong models of how to use communications for social change. And I'll be honest, I think we're still learning them. But, but there is, um, you know, for example, an organization called FHI 360, which works in public health and does a lot of communications for behavior change with public health as context. 
um, I would I would sort of ask people to go to their website and check out. Uh, they have models listed. Uh, they could do that. The other sort of uh, message I'm very sort of keen to leave for uh, audience uh, audiences in marketing and communication, especially the younger ones, Andy, is um, I think um, the, the the industry is an exciting place to be, and there's so much that you can do. But it does take a lot of hard work to sort of really get stuck in before you start enjoying it. And as someone who's sort of been through different stages of enjoying it and sometimes thinking, you know, wondering, what am I doing here? And, you know, do I really belong somewhere else? My advice to sort of the younger community would be to just go easy on yourself, you know, explore your own interests a lot more, do what you sort of care about and the money will come. I also want to sort of, I, I think there's a blog called The Myth of Talent okay. by uh, Craig Tanner. Um, it's it's an old blog, Andy, but I remember sort of reading it in one of those uh, days when, you know, I wasn't really sure about, um, you know, what sort of career I had in front of me. And it's 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 a blog that really sort of inspired me to do what I think was best for me. Perfect. I shall make sure that I look that up and put a link in the show notes. And I guess, you know, if people are interested in speaking to you, Girish, because you've got a lot to offer here. And I think that if someone is looking for some guidance, whether it is a societal change or a behavioral change program, or whether it is just to how to how to enter the Indian market and, you know, get some thoughts on localization and how to tackle such an enormous place. You know, how should people get in touch with you? What's the best place for them to say hello? LinkedIn or just go to our website. Uh, it's www.onpurposeconsulting.in. You know, just drop us a line. And if you're ever in India, uh, you know, I'd be happy to sort of buy you a coffee and have a chat. Surely, surely it's a chai rather than a coffee. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we've been uh, westernized um beyond sort of uh, <laughs> belief so uh, yes coffee is now the new lifestyle thing in india but yes um there's plenty of chai available too <laughs> i'd be very upset to come all the way to india and have a starbucks that's just not that's just not cricket <laughs> well if if you do come to india um andy i will get you a coffee that's better than starbucks and it's called <laughs> sardar bucks <laughs> 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 Which is basically Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, which is an Indian company that does great coffee. And I think um <laughs> uh, they, they've sort of played on the Starbucks name and have gotten into some trouble, but the coffee's really good. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I would love to have one of those as well. But uh, as you know, Girish, I spent a bit of time in India a few years ago. And one of my resounding memories is the chaos and the noise and the color. But the chaos and the noise is is kind of the soundtrack is the sound of car horns peeping. And uh, I don't know whether you know, but I can just pick up about every few seconds the, the tiny background noise of a car horn. So it's making me think that, you know, this is this is as, as authentic as it gets, this conversation. Hey, you don't get an 8% growth in GDP without a few car horns. <laughs> horn okay, please, I think. 
Girish, thanks ever so much for joining me on the podcast. I really enjoyed catching up with you. And I hope that it's not another couple of years before we speak again. And I will certainly take you up on that offer of a cup of coffee or chai next time I manage to get myself onto your side of the planet. Super, Andy. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a good day ahead. Thank you.